Welcome to Chit Chat Money. This is our Thursday deep dive episode where we interview an analyst to discuss a single stock or industry. And today we are talking with Drew Cohen of Speedwell Research about floor and decor. I got to say, this was a really fun episode. Drew, this is our first time talking with Drew, but he is an excellent analyst. Um, it, you know, He has very thorough research on his website. And when I came across this, I was really glad that he said he would be willing to speak to us. So we're talking about floor and decor, kind of a specialty retailer in the, as you might imagine, flooring space. They also compete with Home Depot and Lowe's. But I'll leave it there because Drew does a really good job covering everything. So without further ado, here's our interview with Drew Cohen. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. All right, welcome in. Today we are joined by first-time guest Drew Cohen of Speedwell Research. I'm going to start this interview by giving a huge shout out to Speedwell Research. There's a lot of good free and paid content on there. We actually came across it through uh, the coupon deep uh, coupon deep dive, which some of our listeners are probably probably follow coupon as well. So if you like his stuff, go ahead, check it out. There's tons of good content on there. But Drew, I guess uh, for first time guests, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We are talking about floor and decor today, which is maybe more of a household name than some other stocks we've discussed on the show. But I guess I'm always curious how people end up coming across the stocks that they research. So for you, how did you come across floor and decor? Was it kind of you encountered the business first or did it just kind of pop up as a potential investment? Yeah, I wish I could uh, wax poetics about how I found this, but uh, a friend told me to actually look into it. <laughs> hey, you know, it's, uh, some of the best some of the best investments were made that way. Yeah, you just uh, see a, a random tweet and you go, oh, that's an interesting ticker. Uh, let's pile it way, way for later. And someone's like, how'd you find this one? It's like, all right, yeah, someone tweeted it. And that's yeah, no, as, that doesn't sound yeah, as cool. I, I got lucky on this one. Um, Buffett does own it though. So I'm guessing that's how some people found it as well. Okay, we'll we'll talk about that here in a second. But why don't we start with kind of the basics here in the Speedwell report for Florida Core? You mentioned that it's mm -hmm. kind of a not this not these exact terms, but you said it's kind of a combination of a Sherwin Williams and a Costco. So can you explain that a little more and just maybe give the basics of what Florida Core does? Yeah, and you know, whenever you kind of have to put something out there, you try to frame it in a certain way that relates to. Um, businesses people already understand. Uh, but without going crazy into the metaphor, the idea is basically Costco uh, practices everyday low prices, right? The idea is that they're not going to promote to try to get people in the store. They're going to use a direct sourcing model to try to cut out all the middlemen they can and offer the lowest prices to consumers possible. And then there's also this idea of economies of uh, scale shared, right? The, ho the whole next sleep idea. Whereas any sort of cost savings we get, we're going to pass off to our consumers. And that's kind of the Costco angle there 
floor and decor. They also have a direct sourcing model. They also practice everyday low pricing. They're also similarly in a warehouse. Um, so that's that's a couple of the similarities there. And then on the Sherwin Williams side, Sherwin Williams, for those that don't know, you know, paint company, but they also have um, they're not only a specialty retailer focused in uh, the home sector, similar to floor and decor, but they also have a big pro business, which is similar to uh, F and D. That's that's the stock ticker floor and decor. And similarly, they kind of go out and do a lot, offer a lot of tools for pros, offer many services that are very specifically aimed at getting the pros. Uh, and then in turn, they kind of use pros as a sort of customer acquisition engine for their paint, which is what Floor and Decor does too. Okay. And I think it's in the name. So a lot of people yeah. get the hint there, but what exactly are they selling? What makes them different yeah. than Costco, Sherwin-Williams, etc.? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It is in the name. Floor and decor, half their more than half their business is flooring. The decor side is is very tiny. It's just a couple percent of revenue. So on the flooring side, they sell uh hard surface flooring in specific. So no carpet at all. If you think about your kind of two main options for flooring, you're either going to go for carpet or hard surface flooring. Now, uh, hard surface flooring has been gaining market share on carpet uh, for the past decade, roughly, because of a lot of new advents in different forms of flooring. And so in specific, uh, about a quarter of the revenues come from something called LVP and laminate flooring. Now, LVP stands for luxury vinyl planks. And these are like basically synthetic wood looking sort of flooring. And laminate is somewhat similar, usually a little higher quality, but not as um, uh, waterproof. And so it's kind of these synthetic materials that are very cheap to make, but look pretty good. And the quality is pretty high nowadays. Uh, that's about a quarter of their business. And then the rest is all, you know, tile flooring, uh, other sort of uh, flooring factors, as well as um, tiles that could go on walls, uh, decorative tiles, that sort of stuff. So it's all all flooring, though, different variations of it. Uh, generally speaking, what's happened in the past, call it half a century, is that if you had an apartment building or you bought a new home, uh, you wanted to lay something down that was new. And so most people would go to carpet, right? It was easy to install, it was pretty cheap, and it was good enough. Uh, as you know, with the advents of these new form factors and specific LVP, laminate, uh, that's what people are opting for. They prefer that look, it's easier to clean, it doesn't get dirty. And if you do want the rug look, you could always lay a rug on top of the hard surface flooring. All right. Yeah. Sounds like there is a long-term industry tailwind. I didn't really know about that, but I guess it makes sense just given that. You didn't know about the battle between carpet and hard surface flooring? (laughs) Yeah. I had thought about that uh, deeply, but I I guess I've noticed that most things are moving from carpet to hardwood floor. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Uh, but speaking specifically with FND, what advantages do they have over the big retailers, specifically Home Depot and Lowe's that has enabled them to grow so quickly? So why is someone shopping there instead of just doing everything at Home Depot? Yeah, that's that's a good question. And so in terms of competitors, I would say uh, the home improvement centers, which are Home Depot and Lowe's, as you mentioned, those are about a third of their competitive set. Then there's these other uh, specialty chains, that's another third. And then there's these small mom and pop players that are another third. And so we can talk specifically about what they do differently versus the home improvement centers. And so Home Depot actually sells more than twice as much uh, flooring as floor and decor. Right now, floor and decor is going to do about four and a half billion for this year. And Home Depot is closer to 10. Uh, Lowe's is also right in the same vicinity of floor and decor. They might be a little bit higher now. Um, and so in terms of what they went on, let, let's frame it like this. Let's start with Floor & Decor's warehouse model. Okay. So when you have a warehouse model and it is entirely devoted to flooring, that allows you to have much more selection versus anyone else. And so that's the first piece. They have three to four times as much selection as a home improvement center. The second piece of it is in-stock inventory. If you walk into a Floor & Decor, you'll see uh, flooring samples which uh, you're able to pull out. And right behind it are pallets of flooring. And that's really important because it shows people they have the in-stock inventory, which the pros really care about it. If you're a professional uh, flooring installer, you want to know that you could go pick up the flooring and do the job today. Or you know that as soon as I schedule it, I'll I'll pick up the supplies in the morning and I'll be done with it. If you have to wait, for a flooring shipment, like Home Depot will commonly tell you, you know, four to seven days, we did our channel checks. We asked all sorts of Home Depots how long to get different SKUs. That's that's roughly the most common answer. Then they can't go and do their job. They can't schedule it. And so that's why in-stock inventory is very important on the pro side. So you have selection, you have in-stock inventory, and then you also have pricing. Uh, on the pricing side, uh, I mentioned this earlier in the intro, they do direct sourcing. And so this is you know something everyone always tries to throw out there. Well, why don't you just cut out the middleman, save pricing, and you know then you're going to boost uh, volumes. You use that volumes to go back to the manufacturer to get you know a bigger discount on pricing. The classic kind of flywheel thing. In practice, this is much harder to do. They have 240 suppliers across 24 countries. Could be more countries now, and. This is something even Home Depot does not do currently. They still use some middlemen. Uh, Shaw and Mohawk are, are wholesalers. And Lowe's actually had this uh, program where they tried to do more direct sourcing. And it it basically it didn't work out the way they thought it would because it was much harder than they expected. And so you have the direct sourcing, which allows them to uh, actually get uh, very quality products at good pricing. Uh, you're cutting out the middleman supplier there. Since you have a warehouse model, you're able to house all that inventory very cheaply. You're not spending money on making the front of house looking uh, look really nice. You're meshing basically what would be the storage room, the back of house with the front of house. And that's also further uh, saving costs because you're utilizing your square footage more efficiently. And then there's the selection piece I manage as well as the in-stock inventory. Those are kind of the big 
overwhelming factors, I would say, but they have a couple other things going for them as well. Uh, they also now have in-store designers, which will help you pick out what flooring you want. They have a very uh, professional um, uh, employee uh, base that understands flooring very well, can tell you how to install it. They sell all the installation materials as well. Uh, about 15% of the business is DIY. That's people that are going out there, buying the flooring and doing it themselves. 40% uh, is the pros. They have their own pro help desk centers and a lot of other stuff they're doing just to serving uh, the pros, including you know a loyalty program. They'll do curbside pickup for them. Uh, they'll uh, help them with different tools, software tools for the business, booking tools. And so, all of that is just to cater to the pros. And then the other portion of the business, the last 45% is BIY, buy it yourself. And this is people who go there usually on a recommendation of a pro, they buy it, and then they have the installer do it for them. And that that's just kind of some of the big picture factors there. So in terms, if you're looking at a Home Depot, what they do very well is people trust Home Depot, right? They know what it is, they can go in there. If there's an issue, they're pretty confident that they'll be able to return it. Um, Home Depot has about a quarter as many SKUs as Floor Decor does, which for most people is going to be good enough. Maybe they're not that picky. Uh, in terms of pricing, Floor and Decor has more um, uh, better, best, and uh, better, better quality uh, selections. But in terms of pricing, it's pretty similar. Uh, on a on a couple SKUs, Floor and Decor is better. And if you ask Floor and Decor to price match, they absolutely will. Uh, some of the managers we spoke to talked about how they will not be beat on price. They were emphatic about that. And so, so pricing is pretty similar, though. It's really mostly going to be uh, about the in-stock inventory and the selection. If you go to a Home Depot... To it's laid out very differently. Uh, in our report, we kind of we show we we did store checks and we kind of show how it looks all different. Uh, in Home Depot, it's like these tight aisles with these small little flooring samples, and then the stock that they do have is like way up high, and you need help to get it. Whereas in Floor and Decor, it's these massive samples, and there's thousands of them throughout the store. And so, if you want to in like one uh, one stop shop, really see what all your options are, that's Floor and Decor. If you go to Home Depot, maybe you're left wondering what else. Is there out there? Uh, but you know they do have twice as much sales uh, in in the flooring uh, segment as Floor and Decor does, so they're still doing fine. It's just that uh, most people they are going to value that in stock inventory, they are going to value that selection, and then also the pricing aspect as well as the help and uh, in store designers. What? Why is Home Depot able to generate so much in flooring sales? Is it just a larger store base? Yeah, larger store base. Everyone knows Home Depot. If you're thinking home improvement, they're top of mind uh, for almost everything, right? And so you're probably visiting them first. And if you like what they have, then that's it. You're done. That's the, the end of your discussion. There's also the fact that you can, if you're you're doing multiple home improvement projects, you can couple all your purchasing together and just do it at that one store. And so that's important for some people. Uh, and you know, contractors and stuff, they'll buy other tools there. And you know, you could if you could just pick up the flooring there, then that's easy. But on on most SKUs, they do not have the in stock uh, flooring. So for professional installers, they'll still uh, preference flooring decor. How many stores does FND have? I guess is it yeah is it concentrated to any particular part of the country? Um, they're they're national now. Uh, they right now have a little over two hundred stores, and and their plan is to get to five hundred. 
And so um, it, it's really just been a long uh, march of building out more stores. They're growing store count about 20% a year, um, adding 30 to 40 stores annually. And so they're targeting 500. And at that point, we'll see what, what happens afterwards. Okay. Let's maybe back up for a second. Yeah. Can we go through some of the history on floor and decor? Like when was this mm-hmm. concept started? When did it really start to take off? I, I guess I'm, I'm curious about how it's been able to kind yeah, of yeah. steal so much share or, or grow so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So it started in Atlanta, Georgia in 2000 uh, and founded by George Vinson West. And as the story goes, his wife was looking for some flooring in their bathroom and he couldn't find the right flooring and he goes to all these different stores and he doesn't like the selection, thinks the prices are too high. And so long story short, he says, I'm going to open a flooring store, which is slightly less random given his family did own um, building material stores. They owned a few of them uh, in Georgia. And so he wanted a store just to specialize in flooring. Uh, Two years later, though, he sold it to an investor group. And then it uh, traded hands again to a private equity company several years later. Um, And then in 2012, uh, Tom Taylor was installed as their CEO, who is now their current CEO as well. Uh, And a lot of the current management team comes from that time. And then in 2017, they went public. Uh, But you're looking at roughly a a 20-year period where they've gone from uh, one to 205 stores about. Okay. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Cause I'm thinking like they've, they've grown pretty quickly and, and yeah. if they've only been around for 23 years, that makes sense. Um, I guess let's talk about the economics. What mm-hmm. kind of, how much does it cost to get a store, a floor and decor store up and running? And then what kind of returns do they see? Yeah. Yeah. And before, uh, right before we get into that, I want to mention that uh, the Floor and Decor Annual Report, this can be a really nerdy thing, but I think your audience will buy it. <laughs> Floor and Decor Annual Report is one of the best annual reports I've ever read because they lay everything out so clearly. They lay out what the business is, the thesis, the investment opportunity, uh, as well as the unit economics. And so they actually talk about all these store level unit economics, which in a lot of cases, you kind of have to do this um, back of the ma- uh, back of the envelope math to try to back into it. And so you, we can be a little more direct here. And so the numbers they've given us is that it costs about 8 to $10 million to open a store. Uh, this is a little higher than it was previously because they've continued to make the stores larger and they've added some other features like the in-store designers, which come with these, what they call vignettes, which are basically uh, samples of what a room could look like uh, with their flooring. And so 8 to $10 million to build out a store. These stores are about 80,000 square feet. Uh, from that, they'll also say that on year three, they're about 50%. Uh, they're getting about a 50% cash on cash return. However, it looks like they're using EBITDA for that. And so if you wanted to use NOPAT, we calculate that they'll get that 50% uh, return by about year five to year six. Uh, either way, it's about a two and a half to three year payback period on uh, on their money. And if you're going to do an IRR, it's about a 30% IRR. And that's our calculation, not their number. All right. Yeah, that that's great. I love when they actually give you numbers that you care about. It's not just a bunch of uh, lawyers speak and SEC filings that just put you to sleep. But yeah. back to the store base. Now, mm-hmm. you said that they think they can get to 500 stores. I'm curious what you think. After you guys did all your research here, what are your thoughts on the greenfield opportunity? Maybe that could be just in the United States, North America. But what are your thoughts on the store expansion? 
Yeah. Um, so a bit of history on that number. Before, when they originally IPO'd, they were gearing for 400. And then what they noticed was that uh, cannibalization wasn't uh, as bad as what they expected when they're opening up stores near other stores. And so what happens generally in the first year to three years is uh, an existing store gets cannibalized a, a little bit when another store opens nearby. But then thereafter, they both start growing again, and they'll grow even beyond what uh, it was prior. And so there is also something to the fact that having multiple stores in an area can actually uh, help uh, build a network, especially if you're a professional. You can imagine having multiple jobs in different areas. Once you know floor and decor, once you're in their you know, loyalty program, you're going to just look for the local floor and decor, and now maybe you're using them even more. Um, so they upped that number to 500 a few years ago. And it was kind of funny. They're like, ah, oh, we had like these consultants like look through it and they redid the MSAs. And now we think our, our target market is, is this instead of that. So I say that because there's always a little bit of... Um, you got to be a little bit skeptical when they do put out these long-term targets because no one really knows until it's actually done. But you do see that the business has uh, continued to perform very well. Uh, mature stores are now earning much more uh, today than they did in the past. Now, a mature store is earning about $28 million, um, whereas you know a decade ago, uh, it was about half of that. A new store opening now is making fifteen million dollars, uh, and that continues to ramp up. And so it's kind of it's kind of a little bit like um, playing uh, Minesweeper, where you have like a board, right, and it's all hidden. And then you're probing that board to see whether or not there's like a bomb nearby, right? And I kind of think of that as being the mental model of when you're opening up a store, you drop a store in a in a geographical location, and you're probing to see whether or not the demand is going to be there, right? Was there really latent demand for a specialty flooring retailer in that segment or not? And then you drop a uh, store in and boom, you figure that out. Um, so until you actually click into it, you're never totally sure. But what would give me confidence is, is ultimately the value prop. Uh, you can do the back of the envelope math as to like how many homes exist in the US. What is the average duration of flooring? Do the sort of fir Fermi problem on that. And uh, you know we know what the, the TAM is and all that. And I do think people are going to still be replacing their hard surface flooring every, call it 20 years uh, at minimum. And so if you're doing that math and you believe they're much better positioned than their competitors, we just talked about the home improvement centers, but a lot of the other competitors they compete against are, are much worse positioned, then, then it's fair to say that they're going to gain that share and I think achieve that target. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Okay, one one question that's kind of coming to mind is, mm -hmm. you know, you mentioned some of the they kind of have shared 
shared industry tailwinds with the big home improvement centers where it's like the, the average the the housing stock in America is growing whatever 1% mm-hmm. to 2% a year and that the age of the housing housing stock is kind of rising over time as well however that kind of makes me think too is there big ties to kind of the real estate market for floor and decor like if if we see transactions slow like we kind of have i know i know it's affected lowe's mm-hmm. and 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 home depot on the do it yourself side does floor and decor see a lot of that as well yeah, they, they've um, definitely been wrapped up in all that. It's not on new home sales, but on existing home sales. And so you can imagine probably one of the bigger um, reasons uh, why you would replace your flooring is you just bought a new house and you're looking around and you don't like the flooring, you want to replace it. And so that's a big um, purchase event or trigger, if you will. And so that's definitely impacted on um, uh, same store sales are down about 6% within mature stores. It's I think 200 to 300 bips higher. So it's definitely been a factor, but that, you know, the other side of that is it's been a weird past couple of years where demand's been very strong too. And at the end of the day, floors do not last forever and you're going to need to replace them. And when you replace them, I think you're going to want the highest quality one with the lowest price. And so it's kind of like, you know, the whole Jeff Bezos thing where it's, where he wants to focus on the things that aren't going to change in the future. And he'll say, you know, in the future, people are going to still want lower prices, more selection and faster delivery. Uh, the flooring version of that is what I just said. There's, yeah, they're still going to want floors in the future. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess, what do you think of the management team here? We haven't discussed them in too much detail, just overall thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Tom Taylor, who became CEO a little over a decade ago now and has overseen most of the growth of the company. He's very impressive um, in that he started at Home Depot when he was 16, became the youngest store manager there when he was 22, um, and then continued to progress up the ladder, worked at a uh, private equity company for a little bit, and and then he joined uh, Floor & Decor. So he definitely... uh, is someone I would think very highly of. And you could just look at what he's been able to do with the company in the past decade. And uh, some of the other management team, uh, Trevor Lang, uh, Brian Langley, uh, they all come uh, come around that era too. So that they have a pretty seasoned uh, management team. All right. We haven't talked valuation yet, but I think we have enough context now. Let's go through some of those numbers. Uh, if we look at their... I think I had the PE up here. It could be... PE might be the wrong way to look at it, but just for context for listeners, if I just look at Y charts, PE is about 26. But tell, talk to us how you think about valuation. How are you guys looking at it? How I hear that they have really high returns on invested capital, but I don't want to spoil yeah. anything. So the floor yeah. is yours. Yeah. Um, so on the return uh, ROIC, right? So we talked about the store level uh, unit economics. If you actually look at the company as a whole, it doesn't look that great. You're only going to probably get about a 10% ROIC. And that's because uh, they continue to add new stores. They have pre-opening expenses. And before the store ramps up, you're not really getting that uh, that high ROIC. And so uh, right now, basically, the store base is more new than aged. And so that's part of the reason why it doesn't look so high. But if you strip out those pre-opening costs and you assume that they do hit those uh, the same sort of uh, sales trajectory as, as other stores, 
uh, you get that mature uh, sales figure and you get your mature margins, which they've said uh, like high teens EBITDA will estimate an EBIT margin of about 15%, uh, then you will see closer to 20%-ish um, uh, ROIC, which is quite strong. Um, and so then on the valuation question, I always like to just invert the question. Uh, it's it's much easier that way where you could just say, what are you paying for today? And then you could look at the assumptions and see the associated return. And then it's on you whether or not you like that return. And so we talked about 500 stores. Uh, let, we said a mature store average is about 28. They have some that are doing 30. Let's just call it 30 million a store for even numbers. And this is uh, what they put out to for their long-term guide. Uh, so you multiply those two, you're getting about 15 billion uh, in revenues. There is another aspect of revenue, uh, the commercial opportunity. We could touch on that in a second. It's relatively small uh, compared to their 500 stores, though. And then you apply your 15% mature margin framework. Uh, you tax it. You're getting about 1.7, 1.8 billion in NOPAT. Uh, they've put a timeline of about uh, 8 to 10 years, I believe, for them to get to their store figure. It's actually funny though, because they also put out a market share assumption. And then they also said what they believe the TAM was today, as well as a growth rate. So I think they unwittingly um, implied a shorter timeframe than they meant to. And so we back into that timeframe of being only 5 years. Um, but you know, you you get your figure, you get your NOPAT number, you put whatever multiple you want on it, and then you could just uh, discount it back to today. And that's your uh, associated return. So market cap of about ten billion dollars today. Yeah, I was about to say that. Context for listeners: market cap slightly under ten billion, uh, which yeah. that's an important number. <laughs> it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Let's talk about the commercial. I guess maybe just because you hit on yeah. it there. What's the opportunity yeah. there? Is this kind of a long-term growth opportunity? What have they said about this? Yeah. So. It gets slightly confusing, and I don't know how into the weeds uh, we want to get with your audience on the flooring market, but they have something called RAMs at every store. These are regional account managers. And these are basically like a sales force at the stores that go out and try to sell more flooring. Um, this is usually not considered the commercial market, but it can kind of overlap. And then they have a separate acquisition they've done uh, called Spartan. And this is more specifically to target uh, architectural and design firms and builders. And this is really more a bid-based business. And so the difference between uh, the Rams and this uh, Spartan business is basically what, what's called soft spec versus hard spec. And spec is short for specific, uh, specification. <laughs> and so... Soft spec is basically you don't really know exactly what hard surface flooring you want. You know you want you know something that's waterproof and maybe a, roughly a light wood color. And so you go to the, your RAM and they show you the options and they help push you to a floor and decor product, right? Whereas uh, on the commercial side, it's all very um, very uh, specific what they want. And so they'll say, I want like a three and a quarter inch uh, knoll wood maple plank that's this wide and give me exactly that. Give me a bid for it. And they usually go around and collect bids. And so it's a different business. But I guess the idea there is, and they, they haven't said this exactly, is that Floor & Decor is going to, uh, since they have like the direct sourcing model and they have all these volumes, they'll probably be able to win in those bids and push them to a Floor & Decor product. My understanding is that they do still also um, wholesale uh, 
perhaps products that aren't sold in uh, the floor and decor stores as well. Um, but they think that that's a, about a billion and a half uh, revenue opportunity. And I, I believe on the last call, they said it's growing like 40%. So it's it's a small business now, but it is growing pretty well. And that that's a potential where they could upgrade that, uh, not upgrade, uh, they could up those estimates longer term, but we don't necessarily explicitly uh, value that. Okay, you mentioned earlier in the episode that uh, this is, well, I, don't, I don't know if it's Buffett anymore, but it's its a Berkshire holding, um, albeit it's a small holding for Berkshire, but a decent chunk of Florent Decor's ownership. I think yeah. it's four and a half, five percent of Florent Decor. Yeah. Um, you think it's relevant at all? Do you think they have any sort of, I guess, bearings on the thesis? Well, I mean, I think it's it's in on one sense it's a potential risk, right? Because, uh, you know, you have to wonder whether or not he's going to buy the whole company out and then, you know, buy it out at not a great price, uh, for the current investor. Uh, so that's one way of thinking about it. But I, I don't know. You can never draw too much into it. Uh, exactly what they're thinking and all that. You because you know the flip side of that is if you're relying on his investment acumen to buy a stock, then when he sells it, you're stuck also selling it. And so, I, I think we saw that actually with RH because that's a another um, stock I've talked about a bit. And he they owned it for a while and then they sold it. And so then, you know, people would ask me, "Oh, so like now are you going to sell it?" And you have to have your investment thesis be um totally separate from that. It's fine if you're using uh 13Fs and stuff to try to vet stocks, but if you're um holding it just because someone else is, like one, the volatility of the market is probably going to take you out of it because you're going to be constantly wondering whether or not they still believe, you know, what they believed back then. And so it has to ultimately be your own your judgment and your own analysis. Yeah, that's a great lesson for the listeners. Now, we're going to have our closing question, but I wanted one follow-up on the market share stuff because I think it's really interesting. And maybe just correct me if I'm wrong here, because I think the way to sum it up is they have three different ways to grow. One, the greenfield opportunity with the industry tailwind. Two, stealing market share from these mom and pops that they have a big advantage over. And then three, which is probably the hardest one and the most difficult from a competition perspective, is the big box retailers, Lowe's, Home Depot, maybe a few others. Is that the way you're looking at it? And they can, do you think they can succeed and have they succeeded in stealing market share from both those competitors? I would reframe it uh, slightly. Not that what you said was wrong, but I would think of it more as one, being new store growth, two, being uh, growth of the mature stores, and then uh, three, you could layer in the commercial opportunity. Okay. Totally makes sense. Yeah. It seems like I mean, you don't want to, TAM is a dangerous thing to do, but it seems like there's a big opportunity here. And I guess that leads into the final question we ask every interview. What could go wrong here? What's the pre-mortem here? If you were looking out five years into the future, why do you think floor and decor would be an underperforming investment for you? Yeah. So a couple risks I could think of is Home Depot gets a lot better um, with shipping from their warehousing to their stores. And so I mentioned the in-stock delivery, uh, the in-stock inventory being a big factor for professionals. And so if they are able to speed up their delivery speeds, uh, they do have they did open uh, more distribution centers recently. And so if they could quickly get that inventory to the end professional, then that's 
that's a risk for floor and decor. Uh, I mean, they'll still have those other factors that will keep pros and and the selection and all that, but it definitely could could weigh on their growth opportunity if Home Depot uh, or Lowe's could get much more uh, rapid shipping. That's one. Uh, the other is just changing preferences or taste. If for whatever reason, people do prefer carpet again in the future, then in the past, floor and decor doesn't sell carpet. <laughs> that's so that's not good for them. Or if there's some other flooring material that they don't carry, that becomes very popular. Um, that also wouldn't be good for them. If Buffett decides to uh, buy the stock and not pay a premium, <laughs> that wouldn't be great. Uh, so th- those are a couple of things I could think of. Also, management leaving is always an issue. You could always, you know, it's not impossible that they open up their 300th store and they start saying, oh, crap, like cannibalization is actually much worse than we expected. Uh, that would also be a problem. Uh, so there are several things that could could go wrong. All right. Well, I think that's all the questions we have. Drew, for listeners that want to keep up with you or, or see more of your work, what's the best place to do that? Yeah. Uh, they could check out uh, speedwellresearch.com. We also have a Substack, which is called Speedwell Snippets. And we actually just launched our own podcast recently called uh, The Synopsis. And in that, it's they're very long episodes, like two hours, <laughs> highly detailed information of our reports that we write. And so the first episode we did was on Meta. We talked for a couple hours about the 160-page research report we wrote on that, uh, go really in-depth into history, ad tech, uh, demand-side platform versus sell-side platform, uh, different risk, how advertisers think about uh, return on ad spend, all that goodness. All right. I'm about to go forward. I think you just uh, won two new uh, listeners to that show. So beautiful. I think if people like our our short, they're not as long, maybe 45 minute, you know, research episodes, you're going to love those as well. So, all right. Thank you. Thank Uh, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for joining us, Drew. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This was fun. All right. Before we sign off, I do want to throw a disclosure on this. I want to remind listeners that Brett and I are not financial advisors. Anything we say or discuss here on Chit Chat Money is not formal advice or recommendation. We are, however, general partners at Arch Capital, so clients may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening and tuning in. Thank you, Drew, again, for coming on the show, and we'll see you all next time. 